0: Peace of our Lord be with you. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then, come follow me. And when the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Every three years, the lectionary places in the path of the church throughout the world those words from this morning's gospel lesson. And with each new time they roll back around, I find myself a little less certain about what we should say about that difficult corner of Mark's gospel. It is a difficult thing to talk about a passage of Scripture to which one has so obviously not responded in one's own life. So, what do you say? Across the Christian centuries, the church has tried to help us out of that dilemma by offering a handful of interpretations of this passage, each of which, if embraced, can soften the blow of Jesus' response to someone who, remember, did not ask what do I need to do to be an especially good saint? Or a super-Christian? No. The question was, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? To that most basic of questions, Jesus said, go, sell what you want. Give the money to the poor. Then, come follow me. One interpretation of those severe sounding words is that Jesus, as well as the original audience of Mark's gospel, were like many first century Jews, expecting the end of time in their lifetime. Which would mean that there was no future for which to save money or create any kind of economic security. So the best thing to do with what you have is to go ahead and give it away because any day now, the kingdom will come. And this life as we know it will be over. A second interpretation of today's gospel lesson has been to say that when Jesus said what He said about selling all you own and giving the money to the poor, He meant it not for everyone, but for a special class of Christians who would take a vow of poverty, the Francis of Assisi's and Mother Teresa's of this world, but not for regular, ordinary folk like all of us. A third interpretation, the one I remember hearing most as a child, was that when Jesus said, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, he just meant that we mustn't have anything in our life that we love more than Jesus. He didn't really mean possessions and money when he said possessions and money. He was just using words like possessions and money as Symbols for and examples of anything that might compete for our devotion and loyalty. Another interpretation, which I've just started hearing in the last, oh, ten years or so, I guess, is that whenever Jesus said such radical-sounding things as He said to the man in Mark chapter 10, about giving all your money to the poor in order to inherit eternal life. And you know in Luke 14, where He says, Anyone who wants to be My follower must give up their possessions. Whenever Jesus said those radical-sounding things, Jesus was actually only underscoring the impossibility of our doing that sort of thing. He was highlighting the impossibility of our ever being able to be good enough to enter the kingdom of God so that later people would embrace His sacrifice on the cross as their only hope for making it into the kingdom the idea that when Jesus said those radical and demanding sounding things like love your enemies and do not resist an evildoer, he was really just sort of setting the table for the cross, making us all see how hopeless it is for us to live that way so that we would all cast ourselves upon his sacrifice. I'm sure that there are many dear and good and wonderful Christians who embrace some of or all of those efforts at interpreting this morning's gospel lesson. But as for me, they all seem to be trying a little too hard to rescue us from Jesus. They all seem to be trying a little too hard to protect us from the real Jesus. The Jesus we meet in Mark's Gospel. seems to me that it's better just to say that when Jesus said the kinds of things that he said in this morning's gospel lesson, Jesus was just being exactly who Jesus was, the ultimate incarnation and embodiment of God. Because remember, these are not new. New Testament Christian ideas. In Exodus chapter 22, the Bible says, if you lend money to the poor, do not charge them interest. In Leviticus chapter 19, the Bible says... If you are harvesting your field, do not reap everything all the way out to the edges. Leave the edges of what you planted for the poor. Deuteronomy chapter 15, The poor will always be with you, therefore open your hands to the needy and do not be close-fisted toward your poor neighbor. Isaiah 58. When you see the naked, clothe them. When you see the hungry, feed them. When you see the homeless, house them. What Jesus was saying in this morning's gospel lesson was not some New New Testament Christian idea. This is the kind of thing that God has been saying for as long as God has been saying anything. I think this is just Jesus being exactly who Jesus was. The best look this world has ever had at God. I haven't done anything about that. I haven't followed Jesus. I'm like most Christians. I have accepted Christ, but I have not followed Jesus. There is a difference, you know. (laughs) There's a difference... Between the Christ of Christianity and the Jesus of the Gospels. If if somebody, if that same person had come today to the Christ of Christianity and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? The Christ of Christianity, we know what the Christ of Christianity would say, right? Accept Jesus as your Savior, just believe in Jesus. That's what you need to do to inherit eternal life. That's what our Jesus would say, the Christ of Christianity. But but Mark's Jesus, the Jesus of this morning's Gospel, is different from our Jesus. The Christ of Christianity, The Christ I have accepted is different from the Jesus I have not followed. I was thinking about this a lot, as you might imagine, this week. My mind went back to the church at which I was the pastor before coming here. This beautiful, wonderful cathedral, the First Baptist Church of Washington, D.C. Right there on 16th Street, six blocks from the White House. Never stopped gasping at the beauty of it the whole time I was there, every time I walked in at the street end of the sanctuary. this incredible stained glass window. If you've ever been there, you remember. It's a breathtaking, massive stained glass rose window of Christ. In all of His glory, arms spread out as magnificent a stained glass window as one could ever hope to see. staring out over the front porch of the sanctuary where most nights, anywhere from three to five or six people would sleep in cardboard boxes. If you are an usher at First Baptist Church in Washington, Sometimes your assignment would be to hose the human waste off of the front porch before folks arrive for church. It's such a wonderful place and I still love it. But I often used to think to myself, there's the difference between the Christ of Christianity and the Jesus of the Gospels. The Christ of Christianity was up there in the window. The Jesus of the Gospels would have been down there on the porch. my sisters and brothers, I don't know what to do with or about all of that. But I do think it's important that we not lose the real Jesus. Maybe at a minimum, we just need to make sure we don't lose the real Jesus. Um, We, we don't need for the church to protect us from Jesus. The, the real Jesus, the Mark's Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Gospels. Um, but here's the good news um, the good news is the way Jesus looked at the man in the story. You remember that? Mark says that Jesus, looking at the man, loved him. Looking at the man with all of his things and all of his stuff and all of his unmade decisions, Jesus loved him. Do you know that in the entire Gospel of Mark, Jesus is only said to love one person? In the whole Gospel of Mark, only one time does it say Jesus loved somebody. And it's this guy. (laughs) It's this guy. This man, this person, with all of his everything, his decisions unmade, his possessions and things still closely held. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Which must mean that when Jesus looks at us, Jesus loves us too. All our things and all our possessions and all our uncertainties and flaws and failings and failures. You know if Jesus loved Him, Jesus loves us. So, rest yourselves in that deep abiding, unfailing truth. Jesus, looking at us, seeing us precisely as we are, loves us. And we love Him, too. Amen.